Welcome to this special edition pod, uh, episode of the Get Fast podcast, which is a special Tour de France uh, podcast episode. We're chatting everything regarding the Tour de France because we just love the race so much, we can't get enough of it. And we've done one episode already reviewing the first five stages, and this episode is going to review stages six through to nine while we have uh, the rest night tonight before attacking the second week of the Tour de France. And I can't get over how action-packed and drama-filled this tour has been so far. There is something major happening every single stage, which you would expect nothing less from such an epic race. Uh, but me personally, I feel a little bit drained uh, in emotion from the roller coaster I've felt on the last few days. And I want to talk about that uh, as we review each individual, each individual stage. But for me... Uh, yeah, just a, a roller coaster of emotions that I want to explore. Uh, watching the winners, watching some incredible results, and watching some di- really disappointing things happen. Um, so let's get into it. Our, just as a reminder, our normal podcast episodes will be released on Tuesdays, our weekly Get Fast podcast episode. But if you are Tour de France and cycling fans like us, hopefully you enjoy this episode as well. So we'll go back to stage six Thursday, a relatively flat stage, and I am very proud to say that I said it wouldn't wouldn't be the only one that Cav won and I know that's an easy prediction but uh, like we said for the fact that he's in the tour at all and winning one stage was incredible but you could see his confidence you could see his form I just said he'll win at least three and bang he got his second one straight away well look I thought the action in the first five is it five stages or six stages five stages stages, I thought that was pretty epic and it'd be hard to match because it was like it started it blazing guns firing everywhere people attacking and you know van der poles and van arts and alaphilippes and and we had everything Mm. and and cavendish winning and uh and then we get the next four stages is that right we're up to um they they were even more exciting I, i don't think i've ever witnessed the tour de france like it yet the gc seems like it's all over. Yeah. yeah. But this, the race is still exciting. And yeah. and sometimes when the GC looks like it's all over, the other jerseys become so important mm. and, and take the race on a different path, different journey. And the sprint jersey's been really interesting and, and so has the uh, uh, KOM, yeah. uh, polka dot jersey. Yeah, there is talk. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people saying that, you know, the polka dot and sprint jersey are becoming more exciting than the yellow jersey, <laughs> which there is some merit to that. But... I mean, if you th- if we st- go straight to stage seven, uh, that was basically a one-day classic inside the Tour de France, which was one of the most incredible stages of the Tour de France in a long time. It was a little bit of an anticlimactic finish, but uh, that doesn't matter. The stage itself was epic. We'll talk about that, but the potential that stage had, and it was all over, all the way up to the last 20K, and then it, it unfortunately dissipated. But let's just talk about Cav's second win. Uh, just a, Just a, you know... Ram home that you predicted uh, that he was going to win again. And most people thought, oh, he's lucky he got one win in. But to do it again, he's riding such confidence. And and from a coaching point of view, when you feel like you're invincible, you are invincible. And sometimes people just need to believe. And, and winning's a culture, winning's a habit. And when you're out of it, it feels like you're never going to win again, like is what he experienced. And then once once you win, the floodgates open. You know, you're, you're riding high, literally, uh, to use a pun. Mm. Um, but, you know, he can do no wrong now. And, you know, the next day he was in the break, in the 
in the 5,000 kilometre stage yeah. day that they threw in there, which is 250, <laughs> 250 k's. Um, but oh, just uh, it was great to see him win. And look, he 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 backed it up, you know. Um, and I think he was still more humble again and appreciative. Uh, just you know, and, and he just couldn't be happier. He, he's he's on top of the world, isn't he? And look, it might have like I said, it might have been e- an easy prediction to say, "Oh, Caleb Ewan's gone. Cavendish is starting to look in form. It's an easy one to win." But he didn't win it easily. And one of my favourite parts of this stage was, uh, you don't see this very often, but it was a really long last uh, straight uh, into the finish line. It was 1.2k or something. And it ended up being quick step on one side of the road with the train and uh, Phoenix on the other side of the road with the train. And they had the yellow jersey, Matthew Vanderpoel, pulling uh, for their sprinter. And it was train versus train. And normally the train's going so fast and it's such a hectic finish that whoever's on the front is controlling it. But to see two teams, team time trying against each other, one on the left, one on the right, and Phoenix got quick step. They, they mm. were too good. Mm. And the smarts of Cavendish mm. to ex- see that and in an instant jump across mm. uh, was really awesome. And he actually apologised to his teammate after the stage and said... I'm sorry, I jumped off you, but I had to jump on them, and uh, that's how he won the stage. And that's what racing is, isn't it? Uh, making decision B, C, D, E. You know, you can't have plan A and stick with it. If you, that's what a good racer is. If you see an opportunity, you have that split second to decide, and it's gone. The opportunity's gone, or you react, and that's what the difference between a Cavendish and an also run. Guy, you know, he's won 31 stages. He doesn't win 31 stages, and Caleb's on the. Caleb's got that same intuitive mm. reaction, and and I know, you know, in my crappy little masters crit races, you know, there's an opportunity and it's gone. Yeah. And yeah. and you look back and go, I should have gone then. Yeah. You know, but you count 1,000, 2,000, and the, the window shut. Yeah. And yeah, really great lessons, and it happens. It happens in the, the elite level, and it happens in club level. Yeah, man. Um, it was great to see. He was just as emotional. He just he was lost for words again, he, and he's still saying, "Can't believe it's this is happening." It's it's like a fairy tale unfolding before his eyes. He was so thankful for his teammates. Again, thankful for the uh, wonderful Julian Alaphilippe for pulling. He said, "Look at the world champion just tr- pulling into the last kilometer for me." You mm. know, he's the world champion is pulling for me, and I really love that. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, there's so many good stories associated with that. With that, look, Cal Cal Barry, the Italian uh, sprint champion, uh, the Sonny Colbrelli. Colbrelli. Yeah, he's got the best sprint at the moment. Yet he's not winning anything. It's mm. been interesting watching him, and he actually rode superbly last night yeah. uh, in the mountain stage. Yeah, um, and he was way too quick for Matthews in the intermediate sprint, which yeah. we'll get to. But yeah. but you know, for Cav to beat him, um, he's sprinting better than anybody. But he's just not getting the luck, and it can go that way. Yeah. You know, you can be the best best rider on the day, but still not win. Yeah, and so I think I think. There's, you know, just because there's people better than you in a race doesn't mean you're not going to beat them. You've always said that about cycling. It's it's a facet of cycling that you love is that the best rider doesn't always win. You yeah. know, whereas in a running race, it's the most talented runner is going to win. But with yep. the amount of tactics in cycling, it does make it so exciting. It's why we love the sport. And he's, he, look, Gavin just has proved that again. He, he's still a damn good sprinter, but you know, his race smarts are ahead of everything. Mm. You know, whoever's got the best race smarts, the best move, the best, you know, thinking quickly on your feet as a sprinter is one of the key facets that you need um i always say you know what are the three things that get someone to win a race and it's first of all positioning second of all it's timing and thirdly it's your effort Mm -hmm. you know if you can you can try as hard as you like if you haven't got the first two you're nowhere you you can have an effort from 10th to fifth 
But if your position starts at fifth and you end up, you know, with the right position, then the time of your sprint and then the effort, you'll win. Yeah, yeah. I do want to ask you about that, uh, those three factors with regards to Michael Matthews, but we'll uh, get to him in a second. So moving on to the classic stage, stage seven, which was 249 kilometres. And to prove how much of an epic stage this was, uh, Phil Gilbert, Phil Gilbert, our, our favourite Belgian man, uh, shared his um, data file. from the stage and he actually shared his Training Peaks uh, file and his TSS, which is his total stress score. So if you're familiar with Training Peaks, when you do a really hard session, you might get a TSS of anywhere from, what, 80 to 120 <laughs> Um if you do an epic day, uh, it could be in the around 180, 200. If you do a above categorized above epic day, you know maybe it's a it's a one day um, long race or something or endurance event. It might be in the 200s or 300s. If you're doing 150k, 180k, his TSS for the day was 450, uh, which he said is the same as when he does Tour of Flanders or Paris Roubaix, and he's mm-hmm. done that in the middle of a Grand Tour, which just shows how hard. That stage was. Two things that affect your training stress score. We don't turn it into a coaching <laughs> podcast here, but but the distance, which is time, um, and the intensity. And so if you've got a long race and it's got intensity, your training stress score will go through the roof. You can ride for a long time with, with no intensity and still have a reasonably good training stress score. But the minute you throw intensity in, and that's what Flanders has, that's what Roubaix has, and that's what that stage had. It was epic. Every time they came, came around another corner, there was another climb. Yeah. And I was getting tired. I was thinking, oh, boy, how hard is this course? Yeah. And, and oh, so good to see Mohoric stay away and yeah. win. I just loved that. That was one of the best victories. Yeah. I know nothing about the guy. I know now he's an under-19 world champion, yeah. under-23 world champion, had high expectations as a, as a rider. But, you know... What's, what's something, a message I can give to the listeners about that? Well, doesn't matter how good you are as a junior, you still have to do your time as a senior. And, you know, Pogacar has come straight out of the blocks and, and is winning, winning everything. And Van der Poel was the same. You know, mm-hmm. I remember reading about his granddad saying, you know, when it's okay to do this and attack everybody under 19s, but when you get to the under 23s, you won't be able to do that. And when you get to the open, you won't be able to do that. And he's still doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So there are exceptions to that. But the majority of people, like Mohoric, who had great talent, you don't win those races mm-hmm. if you aren't talented. It's taken him a long time to get to, to this point. And the, ironically, the two stages that he's won in Grand Tours were over 240k mm. long endurance stages where he rode solo mm. and and that's an example of what courses suit different people and he has realized that and he said this is the stage I lined up from three months ago yeah because uh, this suited me just like the Giro stage that he won last year yeah where he rode solo away yeah um, and he had a horrific crash earlier in the uh, Giro yeah yeah so you know he just you never know what's going to happen next, as I always say, but oh, I just loved the way he won. But the battle behind, it was epic. Yeah. There was so much happening, and and UAE were under the pump. Well, let's talk about the first 50K. It was it was manic. It was mm. um, just off from the Four, start. 40 in the break, was it? Yeah, and just the amount of attacks going, and um, yeah, MVP, uh, and he's... Van Aert, his yeah, twin he's, brother. His twin brother, <laughs> you know, as everyone keeps saying, separated at birth, um, would not let him out of his sights, and they both end up in the break. The yellow jersey ends up in the break, which was just 
hilarious. Yep. Um, Nibbly. Yeah, yeah. The the caliber of the break was just extreme. And then it just, from there, it unfolded into another epic 150K following that with, uh, by the time they were getting to those last categorized climbs in the final 50K, it was just mayhem. There was riders everywhere, people trying to attack, people getting dropped. It was crazy. Carapaz attack, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and getting caught. Oh. That story, that's a story in itself. And I was so disappointed to watch Carapaz attack I wasn't disappointed at that. I was really pumped at that, that he was going for it. But to watch him do all that effort and then get, get to the zero. finish line and get but zero seconds. And that can happen. It can. But <sighs> but gutsy, really. Yeah. And that's an example of it doesn't always work. Yep. Um, but you never know if you don't have a go. And that's that's the motto you have to have in these races. Um, it was interesting to see um, Movistar complain to Kiatowski at the end of the event because um, the um, Ineos guys were interfering um, with... with Movistar Mo- chasing, Star chasing. Yeah. and and look, I was really, I was really disappointed that UAE weren't put under the hammer more, because that was perfect. Having forty guys up the road, they'd lost control of the race. Pogacar was under pressure. That's what the whole peloton should have been doing, and then Movistar come and take over to get a guy who's coming nowhere near the lead to hold his position as. And supposedly, it's they did it. Purely out of a grudge because they've still got a grudge against Carapaz for leaving movie stars. A little bit of drama behind that, and mm. if that is the only reason, it sucks. It's just silly, mm. and they've kind of handed uh, a little bit of a gift there to UAE, who could, who didn't have to work in that last. No. I don't remember how long it was, twenty no. k or forty k, but Pogacar had the easiest ride of the day, and no wonder he came out, you know, on the mountains and rode away because everybody else had an epic day who everybody was on their knees and and he sat in the wheel all day he didn't do one hard bit of riding he had his teammates riding for him he had a dream ride yeah i'd like to see his tss score i bet you it wouldn't be 480 for 450 like like she'll be yeah exactly right and then um yeah my thoughts on mahorich exactly what you said i didn't i didn't really know anything about him um because you don't know every rider and we watch a lot of cycling but the beauty of um, races like the Tour de France is these crazy stories come mm. out, these really inspiring stories, mm. and um, just the fact that, yeah, he was such a promising young athlete, and then he hasn't really done anything for seven whole years, and he's had to have that patience and belief in himself. And, you know, he wasn't on many people's radar coming into this stage, but to hear him say, however long in advance it was, a couple of months out, he picked this stage, and he backed himself to say, I mm. will win this stage of the Tour de France. That's just so inspiring, and... I, again, absolutely just love seeing the emotion of him in the last K. He was sobbing mm. riding that last mm. kilometre. As soon as he realised he'd he's really going to win this, uh, mm. you could just see the emotion all over his face uh, for him, for the team. That's what it's all about, and that's why it's such a, a great story, and you, just, you love seeing that and you love hearing about it. It means so much. You can see how much it means to them. And, uh, you know, when something doesn't come easily and you have trials and tribulations along the journey boy, you really get to uh, really enjoy the moment. And we've been talking about that quite a bit, enjoying the moment and, and not not just accepting, yeah, you know, Cavendish wins, you know, stage number 21, 22, 23, mm-hmm. you know, just stop for a minute and, and savour how good. And look, you know, expectation he's had on his shoulders from, from a, a young rider would have been huge and mm-hmm. the pressure of that, but he's hung tough. And, and eventually, if you persist... Your consistency and your dedication will get you the reward that you deserve. And it might take seven years. And, you know, we get a lot of people come to our coaching 
business and and expect to be improved in three months, you know. And that's something that, unless you're an exceptional talent, uh, this is not going to happen because there's so much to learn. Your body has to actually get fit before you can actually start to improve and be amazed how people think they are fit, but, you know, when they come to the course, uh, they, they struggle a bit. But, you know, this is something that it doesn't matter whether you're an elite rider or you're just a... Uh, you know, country bumpkin mm. um, club rider. You, you just have to have realistic expectations on yourself and don't put pressure on yourself, you know. You, you will eventually succeed if you stay with the journey. That's that's the message I'm, I'm getting out of these. Out of the time and time again, stage after stage, is another story that, that just reinforces what we're saying here. Um, and if you are in for the quick fix, you're in the wrong sport. Mm. Because it doesn't work like that. You have to do your work. You have to do your duty. You have to you have to pay for your for your result almost. You know, it, there are exceptions, of course, to the rule, and you know, Pogacar's proving that. But uh, <laughs> but the majority of us are, you know, we're mere mortals, and and we actually have to work for our successes. And I love seeing people who do that and risk everything and attack. Like he got away from that group of forty who had, you know, world champions, bloody. You know, yellow jerseys, classics winners, classics winners yeah. and he attacked on a KOM, yeah. and that's how easy it can happen. Mm. Gets a gets a gap. Oh, stuff this, I'm going, mm. and I, I don't, it, yeah. I don't care about the rest of the field. Yeah. Forty people should catch two. Yeah, that that is a given. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, you know, another yeah. example of yeah. no risk, no reward. Big risk, big reward. Talk about paying for your efforts after such a ridiculous stage. They hit the mountains the next day, and they started with a quote-unquote, uncategorized climb, which we were we were talking about before the stage and um, then everyone everyone was realising pretty quickly that it was five kilometres uphill at 7%, which is just not an uncategorized climb. Mm. And mm. Um, In the wet. Oh, and there was some tired, tired people out there. And then this is the flip side of the Tour de France. And I was really quite sad and pretty flat to see uh, both Roglic and Garrett Thomas really mm. struggle on this stage. Mm. Both had been struggling since their crash and mm. then they just really finally, they showed it the day before they were really struggling and they finally fully cracked today and finished with the Gruppetto. Spent the day in the Gruppetto and I said to you, how's, how's the caliber of riders in the Gruppetto on um, stage eight? Chris Froome, Garrett Thomas and Roglic, two, two previous winners of the Tour de France and one second place in the Gruppetto. Um, that it, was just shocking. It just shows you just... It's an unpredictable sport, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you can have shocking days. You can, you know, but the other thing is don't underestimate how much crashing takes out of you. Mm. It, 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 you just think you can brush it off. But, you know, once you break skin, you know, the body's fighting bacteria and it's doing two jobs, trying to, trying to keep riding and trying to stay healthy. It's it's a, it takes its toll and, you know. Yeah, you know, everybody's crashed and knows what it's like, but uh, but yeah, you can't just jump back on your bike and r- ride the mountains like yeah. like you're unscathed. Yeah, yeah, disappointing. And and like I said, a bit of a roller coaster of emotion. You know, I was really really looking forward to the battle between Roglic and Pogacar again, plus the added uh, uh, bonus of having Thomas in there and Carapaz because we didn't know if Th- Thomas or Carapaz was going to be mm. the number one Ineos rider, and then to have two of those riders just taken out is just so flattening and mm. kind of takes away the, the special part of the yellow jersey race and we're hoping that other riders can challenge but it's becoming increasingly obvious especially after this stage 
that Pogacar is just in a few le- on a level of his own. Yep, and look, that that's that's what everybody and all the experts and they're right. The yeah, you know, for Pogacar to lose, he'd have to do something catastrophic has to happen. But this is the Tour de France. It's twenty one days. Be expecting something to happen because it will. And you know, I don't care who you are. Everybody's human, and you cannot have twenty one perfect days. You will have a bad day, and that's the opportunity that other riders have to take because, like a sprinter, it goes and comes just like that. And if you don't take it, and I can tell you, yesterday's stage where um, uh, Ben O'Connor got away and Pogacar was eight minutes behind him, that that was purely because of the sprinter's points. That's how that, that, that was created. The sprinters were trying to get the points to beat Cavendish. So the race broke up and all of a sudden they're eight minutes behind. Mm. And unfortunately, Ineos started riding, which, you know, protected Carapaz. Otherwise, Ben O'Connor was going to be in yellow and he only missed out by a minute um, in the end. Yeah. But that's how the race can unfold without Pocachar actually having a bad day. It's just poor tactics. Yep. So, so yes, he's head and shoulders above everybody, but tactically, he can't cover every move. So, we talked about this in the first podcast. The only way to beat him is for the peloton to gang up on him. And whether it's for King of the Mountain points or Sprint Jersey points, that was inadvertently what they were doing. But unfortunately, they people aren't really concentrating on beating Pogachar now. That's what's disappointing me. Mm. They should all not be giving up on that. They're all racing for second. They're all racing for polka dot, for sprint, or for second, third, fourth, or sixth place. Sixth. That's a great result, but it's it's not the podium. It's not first. And I would be disappointed if the DS wasn't trying to work out a way to gang up on Pogachar. And it sounds cruel, Mm. but but don't just give it to him. Yeah. Make him earn it. I mean, that is uh, all well and good, but he's... Looking just like a, a freak of nature at the moment. I mean, he. But as you saw, like he was, he ended up eight minutes behind. He's he's still in. He was fit as a fiddle. I wonder what would have happened if Ineos didn't didn't start calling the time back because he kind of let well UAE put some work on the front and then Ineos tried to you know do some work as well and then Pogacar just rode away from them. So I think he he ended up back two minutes in front of Ben O'Connor. Not he was looking like it was going to be thirty seconds to one minute, and then by the end, he his last three k, he was absolutely burning. So mm. I don't know if he always planned to do that, but you know, it's it was such a little move. Yet mm. he still got you know caught a minute and a half yep. back in in such a short amount of time. It just showed, and he just rode away from second to sixth place. Yep, but, ease. but I think um, UAE don't have a strong team. This is going to be one of the the main points. If I was a DS of the other teams, mm. uh, I'd be ringing all the other DSs saying. You know, mm. you attack with this person, then UAE have to chase, then we'll attack, then UAE have to chase, and then someone else attacks. They can't follow every move. Yep. And somehow somebody's going to get up the road. Yep. And and they're the opportunities. You know, it's the Tour de France. You, you, you just don't give someone the Tour de France as yep. a victory. That's that's my opinion. Yep. And that's what I, I would be concentrating on. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a good point. Um and there is a lot of talk about Pogacar's talent at the moment, and uh, as is always going to be the case with the sport of cycling and its history, uh, people ask questions, and uh, I ask the same questions because it uh, dampens my own mood when I'm watching the race if I if I start thinking down that path. And it's not why you watch the sport, you know, you watch the sport for the excitement, and when something becomes a bit unbelievable, 
you start to get a little bit down and go, am I just watching something that is unbelievable again? And I've been reading a lot. I, I look at a lot of forums, cycling forums, and see what other people are saying, and it's much of the same talk. Um, but um, you can choose to just enjoy it for what it is for the moment, and if it gets caught you know, pr- to be doing something else down the line, so be it. Um, but for now, you know, you said to me off air that um, we could be, that could just be um, history, uh, historical kind of things impacting your judgment and you could be completely wrong. The sport could be completely fine now and we could be way off track. Um, but naturally you just do question when someone is so far above everyone else. And yeah, for me that just puts a little bit of a dampener on it. And I really like Pogacar. I loved his excitement last year. I loved the battle of him versus Roglic. I just don't like him seeing him five minutes ahead of the next best climbers. Yeah, look, there's a whole lot in that, isn't there? And you know, remember this is just yours of my personal opinion and we have no scientific information handed to us so we're just making calls on what we see but i want to believe i always want to believe in in every athlete that i see and until it's proven different i still believe that that he's head and shoulders above everybody else how's that possible that's the bit that worries me um look when everybody else is quite even and someone's a standout that that's always a red flag to me um but until someone can point out that uh you know i still you know I loved and wanted to believe that Lance was the real deal. And and to be honest, everybody else pretty much was doing the same cheating as he was, except he was better at cheating. Um, but he was still the most talented bike rider in, in the race by a mile. Um, and, you know, that that tells me that Pogaccia is a talented bike rider. There's no doubt in my mind. When you see comparisons of wattage and times, you know, his time up there in the rain was faster than the select boys. Um, you know, their history is, you know. Yeah, we found that stat that uh, the Schleck brothers and Contador went on the same climb in 2009 and Pogacar went up at faster. Um, and, yeah, we know their history. Contador was done for two years and there was that was a yeah, bad error, um, error of cycling. I and mean, the Schleck boys were, you know, they had question marks over there their performances as well so you know it, does that mean that it, just by using that stat that, that he must be cheating no it doesn't exactly it just means that you know they're just in, that's bit, bits of information you know, people could say you're throwing mud at it but um but oh, i want to believe yeah. i, I want to make sh- you know until i hear otherwise you know he's the best writer that's the thing what you just said then was spot on we have such a lack of information because we don't we don't see anything we don't see the power data because public chart doesn't share it and we have some athletes do share it um we don't know any of the inside information we're just doing based on what we're showing on tv so it is very hard to make an accurate judgment um because uh there are plenty of arguments for Pogacar, to be honest. I mean, in terms of the bike records, bikes are way faster now than they were back then. Mm. Um, the nature of the stage, you know, I can't remember that stage from 2009, but Contador and the Schleck brothers might have done it under massive fatigue from... It, it might have been week three of the Tour de France, I can't even remember. So you're not comparing apples with apples necessarily. It's not a time trial. Yeah. It's a race. So you could have periods of lulls yeah. where tactics are playing a role. So the time's quite... It's yeah. almost irrelevant to me. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to beat them by five minutes, then that's something you should look at. But with, with, within a minute, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, I just think the, the way the race is ridden, like you just said, and the, you know, it, I think Pogacar was riding as a pretty much time trial, whereas mm. the other guys were racing each other. So it might have been over-under efforts. Yeah, there's, there's bits where other. they're sitting and, yeah. and attacking and... And sitting up and waiting, and yeah, so can't compare. And the other major bonus for Pogacar is that he has had the easiest uh, run so far out of all the pretty much all the GC contenders. You know, he hasn't crashed once. Um, he's 
hasn't been in trouble once, and so he's gotten to these mountain stages as fresh as uh, yep. possible. And if he's the best talent and he's as fresh as possible, then this could be the result. He has not put his nose into the wind the whole race, and every other rider has done massive efforts. And just like in one session or one race where you burn too many matches, you're done. The 21 days is the same. You can't burn matches for seven days and expect the next 14 to be fine. So he is he hasn't burned a match yet. Um, so, yeah, he's looking really, really, you know, <laughs> unbelievably uh, it'll be a catastrophe if he, if he loses. But, as I said, many things can happen. Yeah, and the rhetoric that, you know, how is someone five minutes clear of the other riders, uh, the flip side of that coin is that I am always shocked that after, when you get to the end of the tour, it says, you know, whoever's in the yellow jersey, um, 72 hours, 17 minutes and 20 mm. seconds. I'm always shocked that after 72 hours of riding, people can be within a minute of each other. 15 seconds. You know, and yeah. it, with how much, you know, can go wrong in a session in or in a stage or in a yep. three-week race, yep. it is crazy that they can be so close. Separated so, by a minute. Yeah. Yep. So and we're just so used to it being that close because yeah. of the tactics of the, de- the director of sport is to do such a great job. But when you've got a standout athlete, that you know, uh, Alan Piper's, you know, he's, he's renowned for being a winner. Um, he, you know, go back to... Garmin, um, HTC, every team he's been involved with, they're just winners. Um, and he was, you know, he's, you can't, as oh, I'm just so wrapped that an Australian coach is, is doing such a good job and he's so well respected and uh, he knows what he's doing. Yep. Um, and it's no coincidence that he keeps producing, um, you know, unbelievable, uh, he's not the coach, but, you know, he's the, the team director, which has a lot to do with the tactics, and uh, he's a smart, smart operator. And don't forget, Pogacar won last year, so it's not like <laughs> yeah. it's not like this is a shock. Yeah. You know, he's already done it last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. And moving on to uh, best stage of the tour for the Aussies. Uh, what an incredible ride last oh. night from Ben O'Connor. And we um, we watched. We were so excited last year at the Juro. We actually talked about it on the podcast last year when. Um, Suddenly, it ended up with a lot of favourites were out of the Giro, just with everything that happened, COVID, crashes, a whole, a whole range of factors, and then suddenly there's those, these two young kids. Jo- to- two Alp stages, but don't forget Rowan Dennis was in there for th- four guys, two days in a row, three of them were Aussies. Yeah. Jai, Ben, and Rowan, yeah. and Tal Gagenhardt. Yeah. So, it was Jai Hindley, Ben O'Connor, yeah. Rowan Dennis and Tal Gagenhardt battling it out in the um, Alps of Italy. And we were just so stoked going, look at these two young kids. Um, they're really just proving their worth here. And Everybody was saying, oh, it's not the tour, it's just the Giro. Yeah. And look now, against Quintana and the other Colombian who were supposed to be the altitude, and Ben O'Connor measured his efforts. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really, everybody needs to know what happened there. Three climbs. Just give us some of those stats, George. Yeah, I didn't actually write down the exact data of all three climbs. All I know is is that the last climb he averaged, because he released his power data, which is awesome to see, because you get to see every part mm. of his race. Um, and the last climb, he averaged 350 watts. But why that's so important, well, firstly, he averaged 350 watts for 50 minutes on the last climb, which is just absurd wattage. He's only 67 kilos. Um, he averaged 320 for the race, I think. So mm. he's averaged 4.7 watts per kilo for the entire four hours, which is, again, just absurd. But um, the two climbs before that, the two major climbs, he averaged less than 350. So that shows that he gave it all on the last climb and mm. he, he didn't go above himself mm. on the first two climbs, which is really, just really smart riding, as you would say. 
Uh, if you're doing a stage with three massive mountains, you can't be doing, in his case, he couldn't be doing afford to do 370 or 380 watts on those first few um, mm. and blow up. Although his best 20-minute critical power for the stage was 406 for 20 minutes. Mm. That's 6.1, I think, watts per kilo, which mm. is um, remarkable riding in, in sections. Yeah, and I think, George, he's also protected himself up until this point, and I'm sure he earmarked, you know, like he did in, in the Giro last year. These are the, you know, Von Tu in two days' time, you know, he'll he'll be the same because we go up Von Tu twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's more to come from Ben um, and he gets a day to recover. Yeah. Um, like he's he's gone way beyond where Roglic did. Um, so don't forget how this affects you throughout the race. Like what Ben did today or last night against what Pogacar did, you know, Pogacar's so rested compared to what, expenditure of energy Ben's just done so yeah. so that has effect down the track it's just like training too hard early in the week and expecting to go well on Saturday you know it, it's just not going to happen yeah again we don't have Pogacar's data but I'd love to see what he was pushing and compared to his thresholds because mm. um that last UK maybe he did put himself into the red zone he looked I mean he was barely he barely looked in trouble at all so I, I but that's okay that's for true. a 10 minute effort yeah you know try doing that all Ben was out there all day and, yeah you know when you see Quintana Fading like that, you just think, "Well, yeah, that's pretty special." Yep. The, the Colombians are supposed—they're supposed to be their bread and butter. Yep. Um, and he is an epic Grand Tour winner and stage winner. Unbelievable performance! And um, last year, because Jai Hindley's from WA as well, and last year there was not one mention of Jai Hindley over in WA um, in the about sport, his performance. The, the sports came, pages, yeah, yep. he, came, he came second in the Giro d'Italia. Um, which shows cycling has a long way to go in this country, but uh, I was happy to see that in today's COVID press conference with the WA Premier, he uh, gave a nod to Ben O'Connor, um, which is really good on national mm. television when most people are watching these press conferences. So yeah, um, that was yeah. great to see. And uh, yeah, just as an Aussie, you're just so proud to see an unbelievable performance like that. Yeah, the way he won, it was like, whether he's Australian or not, it was just a sensational ride. And, and he just kept... kept showing his face at the front. The Colombians ganged up on him and he got back on and, and got rid of them. Uh, and the fact that he's, you know, born and bred in Australia is uh, we, we are producing some really good road riders and uh, and that was another example of some guy who's really taken an opportunity and, you know, what he did last year, got him his uh, contract with AG2R um, and... Look what he's done. He's won a stage for them. Once again, the uh, emotional side of the story is my favourite part. And, yeah, that, that factor that um, he didn't have a contract for this year. He rode so well at the Giro. AG2 uh, took a chance on him. Um, and to see their reactions in the car, uh, there was inside behind-the-scenes footage. And they're just banging the horns and jumping mm. and screaming. And mm. they're so happy that they signed him. And their hands out the door giving him fist bumps. It was just so awesome to see. The beauty is, Jordy only signed a one-year contract. <laughs> yeah. So... Really, he can ask whatever he likes. Yeah, now. exactly. So what a position he's, he's in now. So, yeah, hats off to him. Fantastic. So, wrap for him. And 36th uh, Australian stage winner of the Tour de France, which is unbelievable. But uh, more specifically, this is really interesting for us, only the second uh, mountaintop stage win by an Aussie. The other was Simon Gerrans back in 2008. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cadell won some stages, but never a mountaintop. Um, mm. I thought... Uh, Phil Anderson won a mountaintop, but uh, apparently not. Yeah, no, he's mm. second. I'd like to see what the category of mountaintop is. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure that, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's 
a lot of races have got 3,000 metres, but they don't finish at the top of a yeah, mountain. Yeah, it was a descent or something. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, mm. Yeah, but I, I thought that was really uh, quite a good little stat because, mm. um, you know, Cadell had some epic mountain stages, but he might not have won. He might have got away from his GC contenders. But, um, yeah, well, even the, the year he won the Tour, he only won the time trial. What did he, he No, he also won that, um, that real short. Um, oh, yeah, he did too, stage five. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah, just he did. short effort hill. Yep. Anyway, that way, I really like that, um, seeing that stat. So that is uh, a whole lot of information for the last few stages. We have a rest night tonight, which I think everyone needs. I need it for my own sleep. Um, and then we've got, a can imagine, a really epic um, few weeks coming up. I mean, this second week, they just they do one flat stage and then bang, it's straight back to the mountains and they go up one, two, twice, mm. um, which is pretty epic. And Yep. Oh, look, I'm, I can't wait to see what happens next. And uh, people saying, oh, the tour's over, you know, it's boring now, from now on. No way. I just think there's so much to unfold here. And, you know, you've got to believe that something can happen. And, and Pogacar has to defend. And I, I worry that he keeps attacking. Um, and that could be his undoing. He's got to be careful not to go, you know, all he has to do is defend his, his time. Yeah. Um, and he, he'll get to Paris. But... Uh, you never know what's going to happen next, and that's the exciting part about a, a Grand Tour. And if it was, you know, eight stages or 12, you know, it's pretty much done and dusted. Yeah. But it's 21 stages, yeah. and that's the difference. We've only done stage nine. I think uh, two of your most common phrases, and I, they're my favourite phrases for a reason on this podcast, are consistency is king, and it's never over until it's over. And it just, yeah, it's, it's so true here, so we'll see what happens. And I think one of the last coaching lessons that – uh, you taught, you spoke about over the last uh, few nights and over the Tour de France as a whole is that uh, yeah everyone really needs to have backup plans, don't they? Mm, yeah, and I couldn't. I just think this is the the this is exposed to people who don't have a backup plan this tour um, because who would have thought the pocket chart would be so far in front? So everybody's going to have to go right. What's my what's my plan B here? You know, how can I just like when you get dropped on a climb? Uh, what's my plan B? Uh, Am I going to limit my losses and try and just lose a little bit of time, or should I try and stay with the guy until I blow up and lose ten minutes? So this is this is what people have to think about in this whole next four day, um, how many more days? Eleven days, uh, twelve days, something like that. Mm. Is what's their plan B? And and you have to have a plan C and plan D. And every time something else happens, you have to react. Um, and and those people who have got all the weaponry can. React. Those who are one-trick ponies, they're left floundering. Um, you know, it's like when COVID hit. My my saying was adjust or get left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same as bike racing. Adapt yep. or you just an also ran. Um, so the people who can think on their feet, just like sprinters, the example we use as sprinters, yep. you've got to have a black backup plan. You know, abandon your lead out man, follow the other train, take the victory. Your team's happy, yep. you know, and the same thing here. You know, if if Pogacar seems like he's he's going to do it easy, make him earn it. Have yep. a have a plan B. You know, don't give gift him anything. So yeah, uh, that's a good way to finish. Some other uh, points of interest that we won't go into, but um, some things that really popped up for us as uh, stories of the tour was Colbrelli coming third or fourth today. I can't remember what he finished off with, but. That was a ridiculous effort for a sprinter. Uh, and in the opposite spectrum, Mark Cavendish made the cutoff time by two minutes. And just like Caleb Ewan last year, got dragged up by his teammates. And he said in his interview, this is so funny, um, 
He said, they were asking him how he's feeling, and he was just exhausted. He could barely speak, and he said, I was so excited to come back to the tour, but I forgot how fucking hard (laughs) (laughs) these stages were, because, of course, your memory just thinks of all the glorious times, and he's going... He actually said, and I don't believe him, he's just saying this in his delirious state, that this means more than his stage win because he, he had his mates carry him through. Um, and he was talking about the fact that uh, when he was watching at home the last few years, uh, he was getting jealous of the fact that you know all these riders are getting carried up by their teammates and he would have to suffer on his own previously. Um, I don't think it really means more than a stage win to him, but it yeah. shows again the emotion. He was so emotional crossing the line and making the time cut off. And uh, Greg Van Alphemart made the time cut off by five seconds. <laughs> Can you imagine riding the, the whole day to the finish <laughs> and making it by five seconds? And the crowd, if there was anybody left, yeah. he'd gone home because yeah. he's what? How much time was it between first and last? It's twenty five. Thirty five minutes was. Like that. Yeah. And he's one guy sprinting. The guys would be going, "What's he sprinting yeah, for?" Yeah, yeah. He's sprinting for his life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the the point you're making is the emotion from high to low yeah. is in the space of two days, yeah. three days. So, yeah. so look, it's not all roses yeah. and it's the professional life you know there's more bad days than there are good days yeah. so so for us as mere mortal amateur cyclists our expectations sometimes are a little bit ahead of ourselves yeah. so you know enjoy the thing for what it is and if you have a great day you know congratulations but you know you live to fight another day and that's why we train and, and prepare because we want to get more good days yeah. um, but just be prepared that there are days where you stuff it up you, yeah. you muck up your tactics you might be the fittest today and you know you're the fittest and you come away with nothing mm-hmm. and you just go how did i stuff that up mm. like that is just pathetic by me mm. um and and that's that's the nature of racing and that's that's what gets you up in the morning at, you know when the alarm goes off and getting back into the training session to say that you know um, I'm going to be stronger again for next time, but you know, don't underestimate the racing tactics. Um, that yeah. is the key to key to most people's success. Everybody can be fit, and the pros are all equally probably as fit as each other. It's the guy who's got the will to win, and the guy who's got the best tactics. Uh, and that lesson can be applied to Thomas and Roglic, where it was kind of taken out of their hands. Um, you know, Thomas did a post about it, and he just said, you know, it's so disappointing that after months of preparation, months of sacrifice, months of hard work. It's just the opportunity is taken away and you walk away with nothing and mm. um, he's still he's still Two years in a row. Exactly. It's just uh, pretty devastating. It leaves you a little bit flat, but like you're saying, this this lesson applies in all aspects of the race. The yeah, things that you can control, things you I don't can. want to go on too much, but, you know, he will be back, Roglic, mark my words. He will be a Tour de France winner eventually and it's another example of he's got to hang in there, persistence mm. will pay off mm. and whether it takes him four more years, I, I guarantee... He he's not going to have sleep until he until he wins this tour. So, yeah, look, and I I really like the way Roglic goes about it. He never complains about how how things have gone against him. Uh, he's just an ultimate professional, I reckon. Sport can be so cruel, can't it? Well, like I said, as a fan, it's been an emotional roller coaster. I'm ready for a reset. I'm ready for a day off uh, before getting hyped to watch week two again. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Get Fast Podcast, a special Tour de France edition. Once again, our normal weekly episode will be released tomorrow, that is Tuesday, uh, as well as some uh, potentially more episodes of the Tour de France coming up over the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.